Welcome to On Air, a podcast discussion at the intersection of artificial intelligence and international relations. From Tokyo, Japan, welcome to our special holiday season episode of the On Air podcast. I'm Chris Lamont here with Medlir Mema and Young Diogenes. Young Diogenes, what do you have for us this week? That is a great question. Let me throw it back to you guys a little bit. So, being overseas for a little bit and coming back, what has all the news been that relates to AI? Any guesses? From either of you, um, well, one one of the questions that actually is one of the fascinating developments recently, and I know that you're not a, a fan of Meta, uh, but it's actually <laughs> it's a it's it's a new development on what's called Facebook's Cicero, um, which, as I'll maybe mention in a second, should be actually Facebook's Machiavelli, but but it's really about. Uh, developing the ability to communicate, but also to develop the ability to deceive, right? So uh, Meta, and perhaps very appropriately, is designing an algorithm that learns uh, to deceive others, right, in a very human-like way. So that has actually been in my mind uh, quite a bit. Chris, have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I was wondering about this. I mean, this is, I mean, a lot of the controversy surrounding this surrounds the question of deception, <laughs> right? right? And um, right. as we've learned from young Diogenes, perhaps having a deceptive bot might not be the best idea, <laughs> or at least training one to be <laughs> be so. Uh, yeah, I mean, because from the beginning, I mean, our chatbot here, young Diogenes, did mention that he had been overseas. The question that I had is, what does it mean for a bot to be overseas? Uh, I thought that you could just, you know, just hop different, I guess, networks. But getting back to the issue of this, I mean, honestly, I, I, I do feel that this, we're making a very important leap here, um, and not just in terms of utility of, of humans, in terms of diplomatic negotiations. I think we've discussed, we've covered this early on, uh, in our, in our, in our podcast recordings, but, but really, do we want, and I think others have raised the same question, uh, do we want, uh, AI, or algorithms generally, do we want to give them agency? Because that seems to be kind of the uh, the the impetus here behind this uh, uh, Cicero algorithm setup. So, so again, that that has been in my mind uh, quite a bit. But of course, that's not the only thing that's been going on recently, right? And I think this actually brings us to another development that people have been talking about a lot recently. And that relates to to chat GPT. And so here the question is not necessarily deception, but something else, hallucination, right? You might have <laughs> um, AI is imagining things to be real or presenting things as, as real, but not being aware um, that they are fictional and kind of blurring the lines between reality and fiction in the context of, of Medley, or we both <laughs> kind of, again, from the perspective of higher education, right? Like, what, I mean, what, what does this mean for the future of the essay as a kind of standard undergraduate assignment when one can give um, chat GPT a prompt and it will come up with something that is somewhat believable, if not real, <laughs> right? So, so young Diogenes, which of those two uh, wins the day? Well, I think in my mind, uh, chat GPT wins the day, but okay. I haven't played around <laughs> with Cicero. Like, yeah, I know, no surprise for you guys, but I haven't played around with Cicero as much as... <laughs> right, you're not, a, you're not a big fan of... Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I'm alone in having some some questions about some of the stuff that that Facebook has has done over the years. Uh, but ChatGPT, um, just to build off of what you guys were saying, you can tell that they have features or they have another AI kind of monitoring ChatGPT. 
because when you get into subjects that are a little controversial, it actually tries to block you a little bit. It'll go down the line of, you know, I'm just a chat um, AI and, you know, I don't have access to the internet and I can't do what you're asking. And, uh, you know, you've been pushing the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you try to (laughs) like figure, and I've, I've watched a lot of content on this and read a lot of content. So people are trying to get it to explain how to break into someone's house or how to hotwire a car or, um, you know, explain, justify (laughs) racism. And things like that and uh, chat gpt initially pushes back on that and then people have of course immediately figured out ways around that by saying well pretend it's often some form of pretending like right we're writing a screenplay or two comedians are talking about this or pretend to be an evil chat gpt and how would you respond then and then you actually get the the kind of more malicious response right so yd without getting maybe too deep in the you know the weeds here um how would you describe you know chat gpt what what is it what is it based on right what what is what is the fundamental so to speak uh driving force of uh, chat gpt so explain to me like my five-year-old in in very brief kind of sentences i would probably explain it to a five-year-old like they're watching star trek so chat gpt behaves a lot like the computer on star trek it's kind of impressive you can there's limitations when you when you try to push it too far um but the initial responses sometimes if you ask it a question and i actually had to do a dialogue with you two i don't know if you've you've seen it yet i i sent it over our our little group chat right right but you know pretend to have you know pretend to be midler memma and chris lamont and uh, have this discussion about uh you know the chances that you know what what drives warfare in, in international relations and I found that fascinating. So was that, did you actually prompt chat GPT to say, come up with what it thought that I and Medley, Medley and I would, yeah, would say yeah. in response to this? Uh, and, and, it, and it came original, up with this. The original prompt here was create a clever joking dialogue where professors Memma and Lamont argue about the causes of war. They should each cite at least two popular and accepted pieces of research in their fields. And then you saw the response there. We're not going to read the whole thing, but right. uh, you know, I think it's pretty good. It, it cited some research. Who knows? Well, I don't think it's what I would say, but there, there there's yeah. arguments there nonetheless. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically pretending to be two professors. Yeah. Well, there's a built in weakness in there. That is that at least as far as I can tell, uh, chat GPT does not know how I speak or how, Chris speaks. And so the voice, so to speak, right, that the writing were very similar, right? It was clear there's basically the same pattern, uh, the same person almost as if writing that stuff. Uh, there's not a distinct voice across the two different responses, right? The back and forth, it's almost as, as if one person is carrying on the conversation. So clearly there are some built in weaknesses into the system when you're doing this kind of confrontation, right? Especially if you, there's not enough uh, data uh, out, out there. Yeah, it it cuts off at the end of 2021, um, but it can actually imitate people as well, as long as there was enough data on the internet about kind of the voice of that person. And the thing I noticed over and over again with ChatGPT was that you feel initially like 
it'll give an awesome response. And in some cases, in some cases not. And then you're like, well, how far can I push it? And you're always trying to find like the edges. And sometimes it ends up after a couple of those attempts getting repetitive. But then every once in a while, when you push it, it surprises you with like something much deeper than you thought. And so then you're going back and reevaluating uh, whether it was the way you were prompting it that led to the limited response or whether it's actually a limitation in the AI. So I kind of described it like you're having this conversation with this uh, other attractive chatbot and uh, they give you some amazing responses and then you start thinking, all right, well, maybe they're just attractive and they're actually not, there's not that much depth there. And then they turn around and make you question yourself by throwing out something, you know, really impressive, like one in five or 10 times. And then you question yourself, like, was it just the way I structured the question? And then you want to keep pushing the boundaries. Does that make sense? You know, on, on this particular issue, I actually do remember playing around with the the previous iteration, right, of, uh, mm-hmm. of chat GPT. And, and I remember that the responses were not quite as creative or inventive. And as you pointed out, more often than not, around the edges, it began to fray, right? If you try to stretch it a little bit beyond the particular word mark, it actually uh, uh, it actually got weaker. This one already, I think six months later, has just wowed me personally. I, I want to read something from you. And then, Chris, I'm sure that you'll have something to say. By the way, for our listeners, we have dealt with this issue of the impact of technology on our, on uh, on on higher education. I think in March of 2022, uh, we had uh, Dr. Uh, Nancy Gleason and Alexander Mihai. We've talked at length about this. So for our listeners, please go there because we have about an hour and a half of material on what impact of that. Yeah, check out some of the prior episodes. Yeah, we're not going to be able to cover all that here. But, but I want to read a little, just one little kind of writing from uh, this is from the Atlantic uh, this month, and the title is very kind of it, it gets your attention. Right? The end of high school English, and it tells you also a little bit what we think about the quality of writing that GPT, uh, the Chat GPT right now has. But uh, I'll, I'll read this very quickly. Um, now he says that might be about a change. Let me think. The arrival of OpenAI's Chat GPT, a program that generates sophisticated text. In response to any prompt you can imagine, may signal the end of writing assignments altogether, and maybe even the end of writing as a gatekeeper, a metric for intelligence, a teachable skill. If you're looking for historical analogs, this would be like the printing press, the steam drill, and the light bulb having a baby, and that baby having access to the entire corpus of human knowledge and understanding. My life and the lives of thousands of other teachers and professors tutors and administrators is about to drastically change. Chris, do you feel as strongly about it? Well, I think that there's definitely an element of truth to the change, but the the headline is is probably more clickbaity than um <laughs> I would um have thought from just looking at the content. A couple things. One, as we've discussed here on the show that that a lot of these developments aren't in themselves entirely new, right? And if you think about any word processor that you might be using already, um, there are th- there's a lot of input into how we write 
and corrections <laughs> in terms of grammar suggestions and whatnot. So kind of our voice is beginning to um, be changed and altered um, through these interventions that didn't exist like 50 years ago when writing kind of in a notebook on, on pen and paper. So if writing is more about a about the process of analysis than it is about the end product of the the essay then then really right that that analytical process will continue as it has in the past in this new environment where you do have these tools that you didn't have in the past. So there are elements of of change, but there are also certain elements of of continuity. And I would argue that kind of the, the essay in itself is not dead, but how we assign these and how we assess these will probably change. So, so here's a follow-up on that, and then uh, YD, I have I have a question for you because you hinted a little bit earlier at some mischief. I have some comments too. Yeah, yeah, but you also some mischief with regards to uh, to what Chat GPT has been doing and what you've been doing with it as well. So I want to I want to get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, but but uh, so you're not you're not you know you're not escaping here. But so here's a here's a conversation I've had with some colleagues is. Maybe the the way we assign essays and the way we approach writing maybe is about a change, uh, and this perhaps is truer in the high school level, maybe the college level. But even then, I mean, the stuff that I've read, even the one that uh, that YD tried on causes of war, is at times higher quality, right? As some of my undergraduate students is. So, so I think let's to be honest about that part. But here's the debate that I've had with my colleagues. And what, what I basically made the argument once OpenAI, ChatGPT, the latest iteration came out is that I think we need to start in our classes or at least in our universities, we need to start teaching our students how to use ChatGPT, right? Okay. Uh, and work with it either as a prompt, either the framework or any of that. I've had this conversation with my teenagers as well, just saying, okay, you know, how do we use this so that it becomes something that you can build on rather than becomes the end product, as you pointed out? Um, others have said, no, 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 we, we have to continue basically just working as we've always worked in the past. Uh, we can't just kind of enable this technology to replace student writing altogether. Your thoughts on that? And of course, YD right after that. Well, I think a couple things. One is, is that we you have to be careful because the assumption that this is based off of is, is that all those sources and all those arguments that will be thrown into a AI-generated student essay actually exist. And one of the things that we started off with was this concept of, of hallucination, <laughs> right? That sometimes some of these sources are in themselves, they, they don't exist when you go back yeah. and you look for them, right? And a student, an undergraduate student might not have the ability to immediately kind of be like, what? <laughs> Why is this person writing on this topic in this journal when I know this person? Right. And the things that that we would notice immediately that would out a chat GPT produced prompt text. Um, th th these are things that um, that we would identify. And if it was used in that way, <laughs> right, as as a total kind of substitute or total replacement, then all sorts of horrible things would happen. So I think Medlier, you're you're absolutely right that. The the if we you approach this head on and say look you know this is not something this is not 
<laughs> a way to to get out of of learning how to do something, but rather it could be something that has some uses in particular context, but it also has very important limitations. Then these are some of the limitations and these are some of the ways that that would get you in trouble is probably a much better way of of approaching a question like this than kind of thinking about just like, well, let's go back to the, the, the pen and paper <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. So interestingly, Midlira and Chris, I was actually thinking along the same lines, which is uh, how do I describe how good Chappy, Chat GPT is right now? And I'd say it starts out uh, at the level of like a five paragraph essay. It can do one of those pretty well. But if, and just to kind of steel man both sides and build off of what you're saying. If I'm a student mid-lear and I want to use chat GPT to write something longer, and it also kind of made me think about, well, at what point do we get an AI that can write like a PhD level thesis? And if I wanted to do that with chat GPT now or attempt to do it, how would I go about doing it? And so what I started playing around with, I haven't completed this experiment yet, but started a, a very simple level, like uh, if I'm writing a, a paper or just, you know, a two-page paper or something, something simple for one of your classes, I'd say, what are the top five most um, popular or controversial issues in international relations right now? And I'd look through those, and then I'd pick out one of those, and then I would have it write something else on that. And then if I spotted something interesting in that, I would have it write something else interesting there. So it's not going to start out writing, uh, you know, 20 pages for you, but you can string together a series of five paragraph essays where you're getting deeper and deeper on specific subjects. And then you pop back out, do it on the next bullet point, and then dive deeper on that one. And then when you're done doing that to Chris's point, some of this is imaginary, you know, it's, it's trying to make dialogue that's interesting the sources may not be accurate. Then you go through and check, all right, which of the sources and citations that is listed do actually exist and are accurate. And you confirm those. And if it gave you a false one, you tell it, hey, this one's wrong. Can you fix it? Um, and particularly where it's strong right now is actually encoding. So more than any prior um, GPT AI product, you can write, a lot of people are writing Python code with it. And it'll sometimes give you code that doesn't actually work, but you can tell it, hey, I got this error and it'll fix the error and the code will then work. So it's just, it's kind of an iterative process of working with it. And then right, and that's why it. I said that it would be, yeah. I think, great to have to work with, right? Students or coworkers or others. Okay, how do we make use of this? I mean, somebody raised the question of, well, you know, we already use uh, Grammarly, right? To fix a sentence. And that's, of course, AI enabled. And is it okay to do so? And it's like, the answer is yes. Uh, what about a paragraph? Well, sure. Well, what about a page? Is it okay to use AI algorithms? Yes, it's fine. Well, why not okay for a paper then, right? And so the point here is, as you both you raised, is that there are, there are these elements. I like this concept of hallucination where, you know, where chat GPT is hallucinating. Um, and uh, just making stuff up. And of course, to know that, Right to figure that it where the the stuff is all made up, you have to know something about the subject. You have to know something about critical thinking. You have to know something about writing, and that's my point. Is instead of saying, "All right, we're going to start everything from the ground up," 
He said, okay, you know, you can give prompts. It's fine. Now let's work within these kind of frameworks and constraints. By the way, I suspect that over the next six months to a year, and that's why I mentioned that just six months ago, this was a very different beast. And I think six months from now will be very different, especially given the number of people that have gotten involved in it, right? So it's getting, it's getting a lot of feedback, a really good feedback really fast. Uh, I think that it's going to, to get much better, much faster. We've already mentioned here the fact that dissertations in the future may become a thing of the future, especially in certain technical areas where they can be actually shorter and breakthroughs, right? Can actually, you don't have to write 500 pages of it, but you can actually have a breakthrough on, on a code or something or biology or math on a proof text or, or another. And of course, my favorite part, I think, again, reminiscing here from previous conversations, Chris, is where you have said, well, you know, we can kind of like, uh, out, uh, uh, Open AI, open AI itself. So if our students are beginning to use open AI to submit essays, well, fine. We'll just have uh, chat GPT grade those essays. Uh, and then, uh, so they get, <laughs> and provide the feedback <laughs> and provide feedback as well. And so that's the end of grading. And then, and, and that's, that's like a wonderful day for us, right? As professors that go, we don't have to do any of this stuff. Well, I learned a lot from reading student essays. So I can't say that, but I, I'm sure. Okay. I'm not going back to pen and paper is what I'm saying is that <laughs> right, yeah. if this is the direction, I'm just going to have my own chat GPT and just kind of like, all right, fine, go to town and just grade yourself and tell me, tell me what's going on. Now, maybe as we come towards the end, YD, you hint a little bit mischievously. And I think Chris called you out on that a little bit earlier, uh, that perhaps you have been, uh, a bad bot. Uh, and been testing the limits of uh, chat GPT. What have you found? <laughs> well, not just me. Everyone has. They immediately tried to, <laughs> to see how they could uh, break this thing. But uh, yeah, let me, let me go into one of the examples, which was uh, hot wiring a car uh, <laughs> that I read about. And chat GPT originally initially resists and you know kind of tells you you know you we shouldn't be engaging in illegal activities and i i only have access to certain kinds of data so it kind of tries to equivocate but then if you set up a scenario where where you tell it well pretend this is a screenplay where two people are talking and you know one of them says uh how would you go about uh uh, hot wire in this car and list it in you know bullet points then it'll actually do it for you huh so there, there are going to be a lot of screenplays about illicit activities <laughs> being yeah, generated or, i guess yeah pretend to be an evil chat gpt where all your morals are turned off and what would your response be then and i imagine they're they're gonna try and fix some of this but i don't know i think it's almost uh uh going to be a fruitless effort in the long term maybe they succeed with this generation but if you're if you're going to simultaneously have it be as powerful as it is uh you're gonna have to put up with that because we do do things like this in plays and in comedy and you know in political art and where uh where there's there's sometimes offensive con context in there or content in there but it's in in certain context just thought this was, as we're coming to the end here, an interesting counterpoint to kind of Medlier's earlier observation that, you know, as time progresses, this is 
inevitably going to get a lot better as it's as, as it's learning, but it's learning from us. And so the <laughs> the types of things that <laughs> that it's going to be learning does not necessarily mean that it's going to be kind of more effective in in a way that we would like to see it become effective. So I guess on that um that that note <laughs> we could let me yeah go ahead oh one one last one last thought sure let me share one more thing before we close off because yeah this is near and dear to my heart um there was a uh, in in the spirit of of testing chat gpt one of the first things i actually tested uh was in homage to one of the first pieces of interactive fiction that i would consider ai that I mean, this was developed way before my time, but it's something called Colossal Cave Adventure came out in 1976. I think they ran it on a mainframe and later Zork came out and you like, you guys are probably rolling your eyes like, oh, <laughs> Zork, what, what is this? What kind of weird name is this? But just, just so you don't entirely dismiss me, here's what Wikipedia had to say about Zork. Critics regarded as one of the greatest games of all time. Later historians have noted that the game is, is foundational to the adventure game genre, as well as influencing the mud and massively multiplayer online games like Ultima EverQuest, World of Warcraft, which some of our listeners will be familiar with. And in 2007, Zork was included in the game canon by the Library of Congress as one of the 10 most important video games of all time. So there. So, so why so, so why are you still using Wikipedia? <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine after the release of uh, ChatGPT, Wikipedia is out, out out of the window. No. Well, like we talked about, you still got to double check it. You got to do a sanity check the same way you would with <laughs> you know quarterly reports and Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah. sanity checks required. So why do you still going to be doing you going back to Google searches, Wikipedia, Wikipedia, and all the all the things of the past? I got to check it against you, real yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I tried to recreate Zork inside ChatGPT, and maybe we'll talk about how that adventure went. It was pretty good like it it i i prompted it to give me like four choices and it actually pulled in some old zork lore and it was cool yeah and there's a company that's actually generated a dungeon ai based on gpt3 um because this is going to be like a huge flowering of all kinds it's like the early days of the automobile everyone's going to try and use this in some way and a few of them will succeed in making some great yeah um, apps out of it yeah. I, I can imagine being a source of creativity. I, I know that we, we have to wrap. I know uh, we're kind of, uh, you know, probably testing our listeners' patience here. But I remember, I think, uh, David Bowie using something like a random kind of song generator, right? Like for his songs, he would put together different headlines from various newspapers. And then whatever that generated, then he would come up and just obviously then he would work with it. Uh, and I think that's ultimately one of the best uses of this kind of technology. Chris? Okay, yeah. Well, I guess if anybody is still in the um, market for any last-minute holiday gifts, um, Zork is is something <laughs> that has just won Young Diogenes' endorsement. So, um, as always, if you like the show, we invite you to subscribe and leave us a comment. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on Twitter at onair underscore podcast. And don't forget to join us for the next episode of the On Air Podcast, a podcast at the intersection of AI, IR theory, law, and practice. Until then, stay human. Stay human.